get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, September the 14th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the Zambian president's arrived in Beijing as he continues his state visit in China. Health officials in Libya say the flooding in the east has killed at least 6,000 people. And China's announced plans for a special zone for integrated development with the Taiwan region. In business, nearly 2,000 enterprises have prepared for the China ASEAN Expo. In sports, China's only F1 driver signs a new deal. In culture and entertainment, a Chinese series receives a major nomination from a South Korean film festival. Now the day's top stories. Zambian President Haikonde Hichilema has visited Tiananmen Square in Beijing and presented a wreath to the Monument of the People's Heroes. The Zambian leader has been in China for a state visit this week, and he earlier went to Guangdong, Jiangxi, and Fujian. Hundreds of secondary school students in Zambia are beginning to learn Mandarin following the introduction of the language in the country's education curriculum. Farai Mwakutuya spoke with students and teachers about Mandarin's growing popularity in the African country. Previously, Mandarin was taught exclusively at the University of Zambia's Confucius Institute. However, an agreement between the institute and the government has seen students at 10 secondary schools across the country taking up the language. And then when it comes to the national examinations, we are currently having our first grade 12 examinations this year. And those are going to be taken by Sesheke Secondary School because it has been one of the first schools that we started teaching Chinese in. And so far the performance has been very good, even as far as a uh, 95% pass mark rate in the national exams. The interest in studying Mandarin is down to China's growing economic influence in Zambia, which has created employment opportunities for young people. Because I've learned Chinese language, it will give me an opportunity to teach and to translate Chinese language. The exposure goes beyond learning to speak, read and write Mandarin. I've learned a lot, but from the language itself, there's a culture aspect of the Chinese and how they conduct themselves uh, in, in and out of business, how the families relate and some, some of the importance, important um, culture customs that the Chinese have. Authorities plan to reach even more learners. Wherever we go, we receive uh, letters. Can we introduce Chinese here? And so we want to em employ more teachers, both local Zambian teachers and also get teachers from China so we can have all the centers uh, um, uh, run. And I think the numbers now, I just said, we have about 2,000 learners. We hope that we can double that number within the next one at the end of 2024. Next year marks the 60th anniversary of diplomatic ties between Zambia and China. The Confucius Institute will publish a commemorative book documenting the relations, which now include linguistics, as an essential element of the growing ties between the two countries. That was Faraya Mokuria reporting. Cambodian Prime Minister Hun Minette has arrived in Beijing to begin an official visit in China. And this is the Cambodian leader's first official overseas trip since he took office last month. China says that it hopes the visit will serve as an opportunity for the two countries to plan their strategic cooperation in the coming years. 
Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro concludes his state visit to China on Thursday. During the week-long trip, Maduro met Chinese President Xi Jinping, and the two leaders agreed to upgrade relations to an all-weather strategic partnership. The two countries also signed 18 agreements in fields including trade and tourism. Caracas is also hoping to join BRICS, which recently admitted its first new group of members. Maduro's uh, visit is also being closely watched back home. And Stephen Gibbs has more from Caracas. This is the Venezuelan leader's 11th visit to China, but one he and his hosts are describing as especially important. Last week, the Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson said the relationship between the two countries was rock solid and on the brink of a new era. On his arrival in China last week, in a downpour in Shenzhen city, the Venezuelan leader was equally upbeat. It will soon be raining good news, he told his followers on TikTok. Venezuela has the world's largest proven reserves, yet its production is at near-historic lows, owing to a combination of factors, including years of mismanagement and recent U.S. sanctions. The Venezuelan delegation is understood to be looking at possible joint ventures with Chinese petroleum firms, as well as seeking opportunities to trade without using the U.S. dollar. It is a visit that is well-timed, a visit that is scheduled to obtain the support of the Chinese government for Venezuela's development plans. That is the fundamental mission. At a time when Nicolas Maduro is going through an economic crisis that continues to be very big in the country, even if not on the scale of two years ago, and also faces international sanctions, which weigh heavily on the functioning of the economy. Of course, the hand of geopolitics is behind all these negotiations. But that doesn't necessarily bother ordinary Venezuelans. They just want their lives improved. However, that's achieved. That's what we found on the streets of Caracas this week. If he's going to find something that will benefit our country, then I applaud that, said this woman. This country needs resources of all types, said this man. All countries need financial resources, human resources, societal resources, he said. Meanwhile, Venezuelan TV has continued with its extensive coverage of this visit. That was Stephen Gibbs on reactions from Venezuela on President Nicolas Maduro's visit to China. Coming up, Libya is calling for international help. An unusual selection of seafood products has sparked widespread discussions in China. As your place of origin is Xinjiang, a region thousands of kilometers away from the coastline. Join Deep Dive this week to explore the thriving seafood industry deep in the desert. How is seafood produced without a marine environment? How can inland aquatic products still be competitive in China's coastal regions? where people are known as connoisseurs of premium seafood. Available on all major podcast platforms, just search for Deep Dive. 
at eight minutes past the hour. Health officials in Tripoli say more than 6,000 people have died from severe flooding in eastern Libya. A weeping medical worker says the number could exceed 10,000. Official figures say 10,000 are missing. Well, UN aid agency, the OCHA, says uh, the number is about half. Survivors of the floods in eastern Libya are waiting for help after burying their loved ones. Two dams collapsed under strong rains from Storm Daniel, obliterating the city of Derna. But help is beginning to arrive. Paul Hawkins has more. Derna, or what's left of it. Bodies recovered, but nowhere for them to go. No dignity for the dead. Buildings, roads and cars destroyed in the nights by the wall of water. Some areas received instructions to evacuate, but some people didn't respond. They took matters lightly. Mustafa lives in the city. Then we heard that the dam had burst and the water had flooded the area. People were asleep but no one was ready. But this is what happened. What can we do? For me, my house is in the next valley, opposite the Al Sahaba Mosque. The whole family lives next to each other. We're all neighbours. We lost 30 people so far, 30 members of the same family. We haven't found anyone. It was too much for the two dams on the Wadi Derna River, which flows through the city and out to sea. The floodwaters tearing through the city of 90,000 people. International search and rescue teams are arriving from Algeria, from Egypt, while the Palestinians are also sending teams. The government and the competent authorities are working to adopt a unified work mechanism to grant landing permits for aviation and aid in a gradual manner to ensure coordination and real benefit from any support. The government has begun coordination with international organisations and we are successively identifying needs. But the minister is speaking for Libya's government of national unity based in Tripoli, one of two which is running part of the country. The other, which isn't officially recognised by the international community, is based in Benghazi in the east, near Derna. The two governments have shown some cooperation with aid planes leaving Tripoli for the east. A chaotic, unstable, unsafe situation in the country makes the humanitarian effort even more complicated. But not the country's vast oil and gas reserves, which appear to be secured despite the flooding unlike Libya's crumbling infrastructure. Last year, a Libyan hydrologist, Abdelwaniz A.R. Ashour, warned repeated flooding was a threat to Derna. If a huge flood happens, he wrote, the result will be catastrophic for the people of the wadi in the city. The warning was ignored, and now the people are paying the price. That was Paul Hawkins reporting. A meteorologist says the dry desert climate and climate change uh, could have resulted in the strong rainfall. Uh, Zhu Dingzhen of the China Meteorological Administration ex- uh, explains why it's so deadly. Libya has a tropical desertified climate. For this region, annual precipitation is 400 to 500 millimeters at most. But in this process, meteorological records show that it has reached more than 400 millimeters. So a year's worth of precipitation in a few days. And desert areas do not retain water well. Under such geological conditions, which are particularly prone to flash floods, this kind of natural disaster occurs. This heavy rainfall, coupled with the persistent strong winds brought by the cyclone, has also had a very significant damaging effect on the infrastructure. So there were also collapse of dikes, and the damage was relatively large.
Of course, it is possible that this weather event is related to global warming. Water temperature in the Mediterranean Sea has been high this year. Water temperatures in the region normally stay below 22 degrees Celsius, but the highest recorded uh, uh, this year is 28 degrees. Experts warn that this kind of tropical storm may occur more often in the future. Foreign aid is beginning to trickle into Morocco nearly a week after a strong earthquake. Morocco has begun accepting some assistance, but it's hard to get the supplies into some regions where transportation is being cut off. Ken Brown has more. Four days after Morocco's deadliest earthquake in over 60 years, the true scale of this catastrophe is clear to see. Houses, villages and entire communities completely destroyed. International aid has been arriving from many parts of the world. Much needed rescue equipment, excavation machinery and personnel. Aid agencies such as the Chinese Red Cross Society are providing crucial financial assistance to the Red Crescent in Morocco to carry out disaster relief work. As of now, the Red Cross Society of China has announced that it will provide emergency assistance of 200,000 US dollars of cash to the Moroccan Red Crescent Society. And the China International Development Corporation Agency has also announced that it's willing to provide emergency humanitarian assistance. Some other Chinese departments, institutions and enterprises have also expressed their willingness to donate. International aid has been arriving at the Marrakesh airport with search and rescue teams already on the ground from Spain, Qatar, the UAE and the UK. Offers of help from France, the United States and elsewhere have yet to be accepted. The UK International Search and Rescue crew brought a team of 62 specialists, four search dogs, rescue equipment and a medical assessment team. Corey is one of the search dogs and is on his first deployment with canine handler crew commander Gary Carroll alongside his colleague Martin Foran. We're expecting to, to potentially be accessing remote villages to go and, to go and help people. Uh, not, not the same kind of situation that we saw in Turkey with a large city collapse but more sort of remote villages that, that seem to need assistance at the moment. The logistics in the Atlas Mountains have hampered the rescue efforts. Traffic is at a standstill on the way to the worst hit region and some remote villages are still only accessible by the military helicopters flying overhead. Roads are still being cleared with some completely closed, often the only way to some of the mountain villages. International aid has arrived but getting it to where people most desperately need it is still the challenge. A race against time to find survivors. That was Ken Brown in Marrakesh. UN Special Envoy for Sudan says he's stepping down from the position. Volker Pertes made the announcement three months after the military government of Sudan declared him as unwelcome. Uh, Pertes said that the uh, conflict in Sudan shows no sign of abating, while neither side appears close to a decisive military victory. He warns that the conflict is leaving a tragic legacy of human rights abuses, and it may morph into a full-scale civil war. Indiscriminate attacks against civilians committed by the warring parties constitute gross violations of human rights. The Masalit community in particular has been living in a pervasive fear of being attacked due to their ethnicity following the heinous murder of the West Darfur governor and of other Masalit leaders mid-June. 
UN chief Antonio Guterres says that he's accepted Pertes's resignation. Sudan's been rocked by violence since April when tensions between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces burst into open fighting. The conflicts killed thousands of people and left millions of others displaced. World leaders will be gathering for the UN General Assembly next week. A high-level meeting will focus on the conflict in Ukraine and discuss actions. As William Denzler reports from New York, a few are holding out hope for any major diplomatic breakthroughs. Fighting in Ukraine grinds on, and so too to diplomatic efforts to find a peaceful resolution to the conflict. A year ago at the United Nations General Assembly, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres called on foreign ministers at a Security Council meeting to do more to help end the fighting. Twelve months on, and world leaders are set to gather in New York again with a similar objective. We want to use the presence of the leaders in town to have a meaningful discussion in the Council at the level of heads of delegation, not only to analyze the situation and the ongoing war and consequence in Ukraine, but also the prospects, where we go from now, what can be done. Diplomatic waters are proving increasingly difficult to navigate. In July 2022, the UN and Turkey helped broker the Black Sea Grain Initiative. It was a major political breakthrough and helped facilitate the export of almost 33 million tonnes of grain from Ukraine until Russia pulled out of the deal in July. I think it was to be expected that there would be setbacks at some point along the way in the implementation of the Black Sea Grain Initiative. What is important now are the efforts that are ongoing to try to restart that and the role of the UNGA potentially in acting as a, a platform and an opportunity to move that forward. The United Nations nuclear watchdog continues its efforts to protect the Zaporizhia nuclear plant in Ukraine and the world bodies providing humanitarian support across the country. But the UN's most powerful body, the Security Council, remains gridlocked. Russia has increasingly used this council as a platform for propaganda and disinformation. It has requested briefers on the basis of their willingness to defend or distract from Russian aggression. Instead of looking for solutions to complex problems, which truly does require both time and a willingness to compromise, Western states often deliberately choose the simplest path forward, which provokes the use of the veto or abstentions on documents. But the UNGA brings with it the hope of fresh political impetus. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky is expected to be here at UN headquarters later this month to directly address world leaders and tout its peace formula. Concrete breakthroughs on Ukraine are unlikely at Unger, but UN officials hope to see signs that diplomacy still has a fighting chance of success. That was William Denzler reporting from UN headquarters. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, China's creating a special zone to coordinate development across the Taiwan Strait. China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, 
on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search the top story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the twenty-first, the thirtieth World Alzheimer's Day. At 20 minutes past the hour, China's announced a plan to build Fujian province into a demonstration uh, zone for integrated development across the Taiwan Strait. In the first half of the year, the number of Taiwan residents visiting the mainland increased sevenfold. Zhao Yunfei reports. The general idea is to turn the entire province of Fujian into a zone that is dedicated to advance towards an integrated development zone uh, to conduct a development with Taiwan. From better transportation perspective, uh, the document mentioned about to improve infrastructure, and that includes transportation, passenger transportation, as well as logistics, and also provide more uh, passenger shuttles between uh, the mainland and Taiwan. From people-to-people communication perspective, the document mentioned about uh, better cultural exchanges. Well, the geography plays a very significant role, and also the special cultural and blood bond between uh, Fujian and uh, Taiwan. So Deputy Secretary of the CPC Fujian Provincial Committee Luo Dongchuan says that 80% of Taiwan compatriots have their ancestral home in Fujian province. Every year, Fujian holds over 200 exchange events to gather people of the same clanship or with the same beliefs on a regular basis. The Straits Forum, the largest cross-strait civil exchange platform, has been held 15 times and attracted a total of 340,000 participants offline. Fujian has taken a lead in releasing a list of 225 items of equal treatment and has built up a relatively complete system of policies to benefit Taiwan compatriots. Tens of thousands of Taiwan compatriots are starting enterprises, studying, working and living in Fujian. Fujian has supplied water to Kingmen for five years. The leaders from the press conference also mentioned several times about the infrastructure. They mentioned about the the, the dreams of uh, taking the ride on the fast-speed bullet train uh, from the mainland to Taiwan. And they also mentioned that they hope that the goods from Taiwan will be able to go to further go to the Eurasian market by taking the China-Europe freight train. So basically the document is another effort made by uh, CPC Central Committee to further advance the uh, peaceful reunification uh, of the motherland. That was Zhao Yunfei reporting. A Dutch vlogger living in Zhejiang province has recently finished his bike tours of the cities that will host various competitions during the upcoming uh, Hangzhou Asian Games. Zhou Feng spoke with the vlogger about his sports-inspired journey. Thomas Nordermeer, an avid cyclist from the Netherlands, has been cycling in China for years. He came to China in 2018 and studied in Peking University and the University of International Business and Economics. In 2021, Nordmir moved to Hangzhou and started sharing his cycling experiences on social media. Nordmir says the Hangzhou Asian Games gave him and his friend inspiration to cycle around Zhejiang province and to explore the venues in different cities. We figured that there are more than 50 venues uh, spread throughout Zhejiang. And then we said to each other, well, let's just have this as a goal for our uh, trip around Zhejiang. Let's just pass by every Asian game stadium in all of Zhejiang. And that will be our goal. Starting in mid-August, Nordmir cycled around 1,600 kilometers in 12 days. His fellow countryman, Kevin Gavin, also a cycling enthusiast, 
joined him on this expedition. Nordmia says they were very lucky to see the diverse and incredible beauty each city offered during their journey. The stadiums there they differ from each other a lot as well. So the Guzhou Stadium looks totally different than the Wenzhou Stadium, for example. But I was mostly surprised by the different the different vibe in the cities. Like every city had really had its own vibe, and I really liked that.、Uh, in Tianlaohu, for example, there are also six、um, six、uh, different kinds of、uh, sports are being organized there for the Asian Games. The duo's journey started from Hangzhou and took them to cities such as Huzhou, Wenzhou, and Ningbo. Both vloggers say, despite the fatigue from the long journey, the Asian Games served as a strong source of motivation that kept them going. Apart from enjoying breathtaking scenery, they also indulged in a diverse range of delicious local cuisines and received help from the locals. Nordmia says one of the most exhilarating experiences was cycling around the stadium in Ningbo. When I think about Ningbo, I just think about a big, really big city. But actually, when we arrived at the stadium, it was just a very, very peaceful little town along the coastline, and the co- coastline was absolutely beautiful. People were just hanging around there. We were also checking in on the on the Asian Games venues. Nordmia and Gavin say when they look back on the journey, they feel happy to have promoted sports by means of sports and gained a fresh perspective on the province. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhou Fang. China has honored a group of young African people for their paintings reflecting their space dreams. As Gao Junya reports, China's advances in space are inspiring more African youth、uh, to long for space explorations. A circle depicted with the flags of China and Nigeria, a young and resolute African astronaut with rockets soaring around him. This is the painting of Prosper Oshoname from Nigeria that earned the rare chance to be displayed in China's space station. Named "Shared Aspirations," Prosper's creation is one of the ten paintings that have won the Tianhe Award at the My Dream Painting Competition for African Youth. The 20-year-old student says he's honored to have his painting displayed in Tiangong. Even the popular artist Da Vinci never got his painting to space, but here I am having my painting in space. So for Africa, for me, it's a very big achievement. I'm not just looking up to myself. The whole of the country is looking up to me. The whole of Africa is looking up to me. So it's encouraging, and it's something that I want to push me to do more. I want to drive myself into more and more ambitious stuff. I want to chase my dreams definitely. The competition received over 2,000 paintings from 42 African countries. The winners were a mix of 10 first place finishes, 15 second place, and 25 third prizes. At the award ceremony, Chinese astronaut Chen Dong, who has participated in both the Shenzhou 11 and Shenzhou 14 missions, shared his space experience with teenagers from eight African countries. While answering the question from a Kenyan student who aspires to become a female astronaut and to get trained in China, Chen Dong expressed China's enthusiasm for global cooperation in the space sector. Space has had some amazing female astronauts from different countries who've done impressive things. Your dream is inspiring. China's space station is built. And now focuses on application and further development. We have a great system for training astronauts, and are ready to train people from anywhere in the world.
I hope you can come here to China for astronaut training. Space cooperation between China and African nations has been intensifying. Countries like Ethiopia, Algeria, Egypt, and Namibia have partnered with China in launching satellites and advancing aerospace infrastructure. In a recent major development, South Africa has joined the International Lunar Research Station program led by China. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Gao Junya. At 28 past the hour, Beijing's down to 16 degrees overnight. Sunny and 28 on Friday. Chongqing's at 22 this evening, then sunny and 33. Last is down to 10, then cloudy and 24. Hong Kong's at 26 tonight. Tomorrow, heavy rainfall and 28 degrees. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 24 overnight, a light rain and 31 on uh, Friday. Islamabad's at 25 tonight, then a light rain and 35. Bangkok's down to 25 degrees, then rainfall and 33. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a light rain and 26 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the Zambian president's arrived in Beijing as he continues his state visit in China. Health officials in Libya say the flooding in the east has killed at least 6,000 people. And China's announced plans for a special zone for integrated development with the Taiwan region. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday. Still to come, in business, nearly 2,000 enterprises have prepared for the China ASEAN Expo. In sports, China's only F1 driver signs a new deal. In culture and entertainment, a Chinese series receives a major nomination from a South Korean film festival. To contact us, you can email audio newsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, though, with the day's headlines, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Zambian President Hakaindi Hichilema is in Beijing during his state visit to China. He has laid a wreath at the Monument to the People's Heroes at Tiananmen Square. Meanwhile, Cambodian Prime Minister Hamanet is also in the Chinese capital for an official visit. 
Health officials in Tripoli say flooding in eastern Libya has killed more than 6,000 people. Aid workers who managed to reach Derna say thousands are still missing and tens of thousands are homeless. Residents have been pleading for international help. This entire city has been annihilated. There are victims still under the rubble, and some are in the sea. There are bodies buried in mass graves because the cemeteries are full. Should I still ask foreigners and Europeans, come help us as we help you? International bodies like the United Nations, relief agencies, and the World Health Organization need to step in with aid for our city. I must acknowledge our government and leaders did their part. Even regular civilians gave whatever they could. But the magnitude of this disaster is enormous. Floods also hit Mediterranean cities in northeastern Libya. China says it has identified the U.S. National Security Agency personnel responsible for launching the cyber attack on a leading Chinese aviation university. China's National Computer Virus Emergency Response Center and Internet security company 360 extracted multiple samples of a spyware named Second Date during an investigation. A report shows that the cyberware The spyware is a cyber weapon developed by the NSA. The software can run network traffic, eavesdropping, insert malicious code and other malicious functions. China's Northwestern Polytechnical University issued a public statement last year that it had been subjected to a cyber attack by a hacker organization from overseas attempting to steal data. The Cuban foreign minister says the upcoming Group of 77-plus China summit in Havana will tackle development issues. Bruno Rodriguez says he hopes that developed countries pay more attention to the survival of developing ones. I hope there is a minimum of consideration on the part of the wealthy industrialized countries. They have to recognize that the survival of the countries of the north depends on what happens to the countries of the south. They should also acknowledge that we are all in the same boat in stormy waters, and that either we all save ourselves as a species and as an international system, or not even the billionaires will be saved. The roles of science, technology and innovation in the development of such countries will also be discussed. The summit held on Friday and Saturday will see the attendance of many countries from Africa as well as South and Central America. Top Chinese anti-graft official Li Shi will attend the summit as a special representative of President Xi Jinping. Cuba is holding the rotating presidency of the G77, the largest intergovernmental organization of developing countries in the UN. Data shows a record number of asylum seekers landed on the Italian island of Lampedusa between Tuesday and Wednesday. More than 6,000 migrants arrived within a 24-hour time span, a few hundred higher than the island's year-around population. The migrant processing facility on the island officially has space for 400 people and was already over capacity before the latest influx. Data from the Italian Interior Ministry shows that over 120,000 migrants have arrived in Italy by sea so far this year. Most of them crossed Italy on foot or by bus or trains as they try to head to northern Italy. Police have captured a murderer who escaped from a Pennsylvania jail, ending a search that lasted for a few weeks. The manhunt for Daniel Cavaconte began when a plane with a thermal imaging camera picked up the 34-year-old fugitive's heat signal.
Pennsylvania State Police Lieutenant Colonel George Bevins says the fugitive tried to escape by crawling through thick underbrush before eventually being subdued. Customs and Border Control teams, BORTAC, uh, had a dog with them. They released the dog. Some of our PSP CERT members were also there, had him surrounded. The dog subdued him, and team members from both of those teams immediately moved in. He continued to resist, but was uh, forcibly taken into custody. Cavaconte was sentenced to life imprisonment after being convicted of killing his ex-girlfriend Deborah Brandau in front of her children in 2021. He escaped from the Chester County Jail on August the 31st. Police say he will ultimately be transferred to a state correctional institute for serving his life sentence. Thank you very much for the update. That was Ju Tian Lu. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, nearly 2,000 enterprises have prepared for the China ASEAN Expo. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished mixed on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. Uh, the Shanghai Composite rose fractionally, but the Shenzhen Component Index uh, fell by more than half of 1%. Trade remains pretty slow, as it has been all week. Uh, the big story was the news that the European Commission is launching a probe into the Chinese government's electric vehicle subsidies. Uh, this announcement has been blasted by the Chinese Commerce Ministry as protectionist. Many uh, Chinese automaker stocks, though, were unaffected by that news, but we did see BYD, the country's biggest EV maker, uh, down by about 3% as it has more European exposure than many of its peers. Uh, Chang'an Auto was another one falling down by 1.7%. But others, uh, including the EV maker Series, which is partners with Huawei, uh, were uh, were rising. A series was up by 10%. So there's by no means an even effect across the sector. Uh, more broadly, we saw energy companies continuing to rise alongside global fuel prices, while uh, real estate and consumer stocks continued their declines. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained over two-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei increased more than 1.4 percent. Organizers say the upcoming 20th China ASEAN Expo hosts nearly 2,000 enterprises from home and abroad. The participants will showcase their latest advancements in Nanning. Uh, Wei Jiaohui at the China ASEAN Expo Secretariat says 750 foreign companies from 45 nations will take up over 30% of the exhibition area. We will hold 19 high-level forums during the event, covering fields such as trade, production capacity, e-commerce and environmental protection. We will organize the China-ASEAN Agricultural Forum. At the sub-forums, a number of cooperation initiatives and reports will be released, a batch of cooperation mechanisms will be launched, and a number of cooperation projects will be signed. We will initiate activities such as Year of Investing in China 
China Exploring Guangxi and Industrial Design Week. Chinese participants will highlight new products and technologies in the digital and green economies. ASEAN countries will send around 640 companies to the expo. Uh, there are over 70 economic and trade activities on the schedule and officials will sign numerous projects in various sectors. China's jewelry markets uh, was around 719 billion yuan, or roughly 99 billion U.S. dollars in 2022. And this offers dazzling opportunities for jewelry makers from home and abroad. Uh, French high jewelry house Chimay says uh, China uh, fundam- is fundamental in the brand's global blueprint. Lily Liu sat down with the company's CEO, uh, Jean-Marc Mansvelt, for his take on the opportunities that he sees in China. Winning hearts of young consumers may be a tricky thing. Um, for instance, in today, young consumers are becoming more and more favorable of Chinese cultural elements. Uh, for instance, in jewelry industry, we see pearls and jade. They are definitely coming back and winning hearts of many young people. How is that trend might influence the global high jewelry industry? I just would like to do a reference to the exhibition we did in Beijing in the Forbidden City in 2017. There was a section in the exhibition that was a sort of dialogue between the traditional Parisian jury, and Chaumet particularly, and what was also part of the national treasures of the Forbidden City back from centuries in China. And it was nice to see the parallel, particularly the way Jade was used on both sides, on both culture. That was the CEO of Chaumet talking about the opportunities that he sees in China. The record high gold retail price in Japan has sparked a gold trading bonanza among domestic consumers. The retail price of gold exceeded 10,000 yen, or roughly 68 US dollars per gram, for the first time at the end of last month. Gold investor Takuya Kusama uh, says compared with investing in the stock market, gold trading is more flexible and direct, and right now is the best time to sell. These items were all bought in 2018 and 2019. The price at that time was around 5,000 yen per gram, and now it has come to 10,000 yen, almost doubled. This is much higher than I expected. So these goals can be sold at a fairly good price today. According to staff members at a gold store in Tokyo, the number of customers selling gold products has increased by 50% since the sharp price hike in August. Yen-denominated gold futures also rose sharply, once exceeding the 9,000 yen per gram mark. Meantime, an increasing number of people have opened fixed gold investment accounts, and gold-related investment funds are also enjoying a booming popularity. A road project in northwest Bangladesh will link 16 towns with the capital. The ongoing project has already uh, greatly facilitated the transport of fruits for local villagers while boosting their incomes and providing employment. Aaron Leo spoke with several villagers and engineers about how they've benefited from the project. As an agricultural powerhouse in South Asia, Bangladesh boasts abundant fruit resources. However, due to transportation limitations, many fruits rot before reaching the market. How can these fruits be transported? I visited the Sansak Phase the Second Road project. I'm currently 263 kilometers northwest of Dhaka, Bangladesh. We're seeing that this road being constructed right in front of us, and some sections of it are already open for traffic. It's called the Sansak project. Not far from the road, there's a banana market where we learn that villagers in the surrounding areas 
transport freshly harvested bananas to nearby cities through this road. This is Banana Market. Since the construction of this road, the residents' lives have changed dramatically. More and more villagers are using this road to find employment in nearby cities, and more fruit farmers can transport their produce to further places, increasing their income. This road is a past wealth for us and has improved our lives. More and more fruit farmers can transport their produce to further places and sell them. Currently, 80% of the project has been completed, entering the final stage. Workers are currently using a paving machine to carry out on-site operations. The use of concrete pavers in this project, which lays concrete pavement, is the first of its kind in Bangladesh's highway construction projects. The laid pavement offers several advantages, including durability, low maintenance and repair costs, and minimal impact from environmental factors. As the project progresses, a large number of local engineers have also grown. The construction of the project has provided 3,000 jobs. Such a materials engineer from the local area has witnessed the construction of this road, and his dream is to build roads for his hometown. As far as I can remember, this road has always been muddy and congested. So it was my childhood dream that the road in my hometown would be wide and free of potholes. When I joined this project, I felt that my dream was about to come true. This job has improved both my skills and income. After the completion of the road, it will greatly facilitate the villagers' travel. This is also Subjit's proudest moment because he can share his joy with his family. That was Aaron Leo reporting. Two hundred government officials and business representatives have gathered in Oran, Algeria, for the China-Algeria Economic Forum. Chinese Ambassador Li Jian says the forum also aims to strengthen economic and trade cooperation by creating a platform to facilitate communication. Provincial Governor Saeed Sayud says Chinese investment is welcome, and that Algeria's new investment law will provide foreign investors with a favorable environment. The forum held three roundtable discussions for business leaders. From the construction, textiles, and communications sectors, the Chinese Ministry of Water Resources says the country invested a record 985.6 billion yuan, or roughly 136 billion U.S. dollars, in the construction of water conservancy facilities during the first eight months of the year. 23,600 water conservancy projects launched during the period. That's also an historical high. The construction of the projects created nearly two million jobs. The ministry says the projects provide strong support for the recovery of the country's economy. Last year, China's water consumption per 10,000 yuan of GDP was reduced by 33 percent compared to the 2015 level. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China's only F1 driver signs a brand new deal. The English Premier League is underway, and there have been a few surprises even at this early stage of the season. Join us on this week's episode of Sideline Story to hear our thoughts about the performances of certain teams. We'll also talk about the impact of past and present Asian players in the league, the strategic cooperation between the league and China's village football, as well as up-and-coming Chinese footballers to keep an eye on. Be sure to tune into Sideline Story, your destination for sports news, analysis, and discussions. Right, forty-seven minutes past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. China's full first full-time Formula One driver has signed a new deal to extend his stay at Alfa Romeo into 2024. 
Joe Guan Yu made his debut with the Salba-run Swiss team in 2022. He scored a point on debut in Bahrain and has shown strong progress since. The team said his maturity and a methodical approach in his second year had won him even more supporters within the team. The team added that a new deal was a natural conclusion as he aims for further improvement. Sebastian Vettel says he can't exclude the possibility of coming out of retirement to return to the Formula 1 grid. The four-time world champion chose to exit the sport at the end of the 2022 season, but has since been touted for a comeback. Having only turned 36 in July, Vettel is almost a full six years younger than the oldest driver on the current grid, Fernando Alonso. Vettel spent his last two seasons in F1 driving for Aston Martin. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the games. Team China's swimming squad has been gearing up for the Hangzhou Asian Games. One of their superstar members, Chin Hai Yang, is a 200-meter breaststroke world record holder. He believes that he and his team are ready to show their strength in Hangzhou. I think my team and I will be ready. Through this competition, I also know that I have a lot to improve. I believe that if all goes well, the 50-meter and 100-meter breaststroke records will also be broken by me. Chin is also a four-time world champion and is one of China's greatest medal prospects for these games. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we check out the 16th edition of the Asian Games, which came to China for the second time. Chiju has more. In 2010, Guangzhou became the second Chinese city to host the Asian Games following the 1990 hosts Beijing. Over 9,700 athletes from 45 countries and regions competed in 42 sports, making it the largest event in the history of the Games. Five cartoon images of rams were unveiled as the mascots of the Games, with the animal holding a long association with the city. The mascots were named Arshan, Ahe, Aru, Ai, and Le Yang Yang. For the first time in Asian Games history, the opening ceremony was not held in the traditional stadium setting. Instead, it was held at Hai Xingsha Island, using the Pearl River and Canton Tower as focal points. Athletes paraded in boats along the Pearl River. The last torchbearer, diver He Chong, lit the cauldron after igniting traditional Chinese firecrackers, whose flares shot up to the top of the tower where the cauldron was held. Hosts China topped the medal table again, winning 416 medals in total, including a record 199 gold. Badminton men's singles gold medalist Ling Dan was voted as the most valuable player. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Xi Zhi. China's Liao Guifang broke two world records during the World Weightlifting Championships in Riyadh. She achieved the feat in the women's 71kg Group A session. The 21-year-old snatched 120kg and lifted 153kg in the clean and jerk for a total of 273kg to clinch the gold medal in the division. Her results in the clean and jerk and the total set two new world records. Her clean and jerk mark surpassed teammate Zhang Wangli's result five years ago. In the total event, Liao betted her own record by five kilograms, which was set at the Asian Championships in May. Rugby World Cup organizers apologized to thousands of fans who struggled to access certain games. The World Cup Pool D match between England and Argentina in Marseille got underway to hundreds of empty seats. Many supporters were queuing outside and were unable to get in. 
In Bordeaux, tramway problems delayed fan arrivals for the Ireland versus Namibia game. France is under tight scrutiny with this event and with Paris hosting the Olympics next summer. Rugby World Cup organisers have promised to redeploy some volunteers to facilitate trips to the stadiums. The NFL Players Association has called for the league to eliminate artificial turf in favour of natural grass surfaces. The call for the change comes after the season-ending injury to four-time MVP Aaron Rodgers earlier this week. Rodgers' much-anticipated debut with the New York Jets came to a quick end when the 39-year-old quarterback tore his Achilles. The NFLPA has stated that players overwhelmingly prefer playing on grass and that the issue of surfaces has been near the top of the players' minds. Earlier this year, the NFLPA also released data showing non-contact injuries were more common on artificial turf compared to grass fields. And finally, a U.S. government committee has subpoenaed representatives of Saudi Arabia's public investment fund over an investigation into the fund's relationship with the PGA Tour. It came after the PGA Tour and the Saudi fund, which represents the Live Golf Tour, settled a bitter legal battle and formed a new commercial entity earlier this year. The move prompted the U.S. Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations to launch an inquiry. Committee Chairman Richard Blumenthal says they've now issued a subpoena after the Saudi fund and its governor, Yasser al-Rumayyan, who is also the chairman of Newcastle United, repeatedly refused to cooperate voluntarily. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates. And coming up in culture and entertainment, a Chinese series receives a major nomination from a South Korean film festival. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Uh, 53 past the hour now, turning to culture and entertainment. And uh, the Busan International Film Festival in South Korea has nominated a Chinese crime series as the best over-the-top original at the uh, Asia Content Awards and Global OTT Awards. Produced by IGE, The Knockout is arguably China's most popular new series uh, from the first half of the year. It smashed multiple viewership records and captivated tens of millions of people at home and abroad. Well, meantime, Chinese actor Wen Junhui was nominated for the Best Newcomer Award, also known by his stage name, June. The 27-year-old actor, dancer, and singer is the star of Exclusive Fairy Tale, a romance drama that started streaming on iQIYI in late July. He's also a member of the South Korean boy group 17 and its subunit performance team. Scheduled to take place on October the 8th, the awards celebrate excellence in TV, streaming services, and online content produced in the past year in 14 Asian countries and regions. The surging popularity of esports is reaching new heights in China. It's being officially recognized as a sport at the upcoming Asian Games in Hangzhou. Well, meantime, a city in Hunan province, uh, or in a city in Hunan province, seniors at a nursing home are diving into gaming and even gearing up for esports competitions. Xiat Rei Shui reports. Rapid button tapping and precision mouse clicking. It's astonishing to witness the gaming skills of this elderly group. They live in a nursing home in Xuchang in central China's Henan province under the care of 26-year-old Fan Jingling, who's injecting new life into their world. They learned how to play video games in less than a week. One has even won the gold medal in an esports competition. 
Unlike typical nursing homes, seniors living in fans facilities engage in popular activities that appeal to the young people. It's because Fan wants to enhance their quality of life by infusing a sense of playfulness into their routines. He organizes diverse activities, including painting, mixology, sculpting, and doing math problems. I think the elderly require not just material support, but also attention towards their spiritual well-being. There's a lot of fun here. I can play with people of the same age group. I don't feel lonely anymore. I feel rejuvenated as well. China's elderly population is growing rapidly, with 280 million aged 60 and above by the end of 2022, making up 19.8 percent of the population. By 2025, this number is projected to exceed 300 million, and is set to hit 400 million by around 2035. China aims to establish robust support systems for its elderly citizens by 2025, while also urging younger generations to engage in the pension industry. Initially, I thought nursing homes were for providing care to elderly people who lacked the support of their families or were living unfortunate lives. However, upon my first visit, I decided to stay long term. Now I have lived here for five years and I feel relaxed. While caring for seniors, Fan Jingling creates short videos of daily activities at the nursing home, sharing them on social media platforms. They also livestream the seniors playing video games. Their posts have attracted over two million followers, reshaping perceptions of elderly care and inspiring more young people to join the cause. That was Shaere Shui on the popularity of esports games in a care home in Shuchang. An event called "Let's Watch a Film Together," part of the first Golden Panda Awards, is underway in Chengdu. The event be,、uh, began with the opening film "I Love Dunhuang," written and directed by Miao Yuei. The film traces several generations of Dunhuang guardians, dates back to the establishment of the Dunhuang Academy.、Uh, Dunhuang is known to the world for the Mogao、uh, Caves. That's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Archaeologists in Hunan Province have discovered a water system from more than 3,600 years ago.、Uh, this find will improve people's understanding of the city layout back then.、Uh, three ditch sections were found in the ruins of the city from the Shang Dynasty in Zhengzhou.、Uh, together, these sections form the largest water system from the early period of the Shang Dynasty discovered so far. According to local archaeologists, one of the sections was built on a natural river channel, while the other two were entirely artificial. Uh, they've unearthed around 540 meters of ditches so far. That's culture and entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour. Checking the forecast before we go for the day. And Beijing's down to 16 degrees this evening. It's sunny and 28 on Friday. Chongqing's 22 overnight, then sunny and 33. Lasts down to 10, then clouds and 24. Hong Kong's 26 this evening, then heavy rainfall and 28 degrees. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 24 overnight, a light rainfall and 31 on Friday. Islamabad's at 25 this evening, then some rain and 35. Bangkok's down to 25, then some rainy conditions and 33 degrees. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a light rain and 26. And finally, to Oceania, city's at 10 this evening,、uh, then、uh, overcast turning to sunny with a high of 24. Auckland's 12 overnight, then a light rainfall and 15. 
And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the Zambian president's arrived in Beijing as he continues his state visit in China. And health officials in Libya say the flooding in the east has killed at least 6,000 people. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, People in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 